I had something in my heart that I just wanted to take a minute with you tonight and share with you. And I'd like for you, if you would, if we could just read our Bibles together. Um, I pray that this would be beneficial to all of us tonight, just for a few minutes. And I want you to read with me because we're going to look at maybe about five or six passages in the Bible, beginning with 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I just wanted to talk to you about making the most of your suffering. And I just pray as you read this with me, you will take this to heart, making the most of your suffering. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, and you read this with me. I really want you to turn to these passages. It says, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. And I want you to understand this, that that the the burden on Paul, the forbearing, if you will, in verse one was he was so concerned as to how the church was doing. And when he could bear it no longer, not knowing how the church was doing, he said, we just finally sent Timothy. I mean, we were going through our own problems. Timothy's a big help, but you're, you became more of a concern to us. And so we sent Timothy to you. We want him to establish you and we want him to comfort you. And he says in verse three, that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves. Know that we were appointed thereunto. for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. How many of you know that the tempter is seeking ways to tempt you to weaken your faith or to overthrow your faith? Now, there is nothing that Jesus does with your life, and there is nothing that Jesus allows to happen to your life that he intends to weaken or rob you of faith. Everything Jesus allows to happen is to build your faith. But the devil's going to try to get in that, and he's going to try to take your faith. And he says, but now when Timothy came from you to us and brought us good tidings of your faith and love... And that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brothers, we are comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. So Paul's in distress. He's in affliction. He's in prison. And his concern was is that the church would remove itself from Paul because he was in prison. That's why he sent Timothy. Go make sure they're okay because I know that they know we're in prison over here. And so when he hears of their faith, he is excited about that. And he says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, another scripture that we're going to look at is a very short one. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. Paul makes this statement. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. How many of you can amen that? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 
And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13, the Bible tells us, and this is one of our themes for our youth prayer and fasting retreat, is that verse 13, we would go forth, therefore, to him without the camp, bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, no eternal city, but we seek one to come. And I wanted to read that passage of scripture with you because I believe it ties in very well with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If in this life we only hope in Jesus, we're of all men most miserable. He told those in Thessalonica that we were concerned about your faith because we know the devil wants to rob your faith. And he uses adversities and trials as a way to do that. Why is God letting this happen to me? Why are these pains and these hardships that I'm going through seem to be unnoticed by God? And so Paul was concerned. He wasn't concerned for his faith. He was concerned for their faith. And all of Paul's joy was derived not from the fact that he would be freed from prison, but that the church was thriving in its faith. And that's what brought him happiness. And that's what brought him joy. And he makes this incredible statement that I'm very thankful of in 1 Corinthians 15, that if there is no resurrection, then what's the point of being a Christian? Honestly, if there's no resurrection, then you should live a life that really seeks the absolute pleasure of your own life. Whatever that is, whatever brings you any type of happiness or pleasure. And it's certainly not in following Jesus Christ, contrary to what some people may suppose. Because the Bible teaches us that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ and be his servant, this world is not going to be your friend. And so if there's no resurrection and Jesus is still in the grave, look, do everything you can so that the world is your friend and have as easy as a time as you possibly can. Get as much enjoyment as you possibly can. And that seems to be one of the common views of modern day Christianity that if you will surrender your heart to Jesus and ask Jesus to come into your life, then Jesus is going to turn your life all around and you're going to have an incredible life. Your life is going to be so blessed. And when this happens, we love to put athletes who have given their lives to Jesus or we like to put celebrities who have given their lives to Jesus and we like to exploit them and say, oh, they've come to Christ now. Everybody should come because Jesus is so cool now because these celebrities have given their lives to Jesus. And if you ask Jesus into your life, he will make you a professional athlete too. Or maybe he'll make you a celebrity or a movie star or something like this because Jesus wants to make you the best you that you can possibly be. You're going to be the CEO of your corporation. You're going to make millions of dollars. You're never going to get sick. You're never going to have a cold. You're never going to have a problem if you would only give your life to Jesus Christ. And this seems to be the type of Christianity that men barter with other men about. And modern day Christianity would seem to describe that the benefits of following Jesus Christ in this life are good, whether there's an afterlife or not. Because if you follow Jesus Christ, everything's going to be great and there's not going to be any troubles in your life. So whether there's a God or an afterlife, it doesn't matter. Follow Jesus now. And this deception has caused many to give their hearts to Jesus Christ 
who only seem to grow in their bitterness that, look, I gave my life to Jesus and God's not keeping up with his end of the deal. Because things are getting pretty rough for me and they're getting pretty hard for me. And I I don't know that I like this kind of Christianity. And those preachers lied to me and this or, or whatever has been lied to me about. Because whatever it is that I accepted into my life has not turned out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. And people are upset and people are confused by that. People don't understand why Christians get sick. People don't understand why Christians may suffer. People don't understand why a Christian may miscarriage. How could God allow something like that to happen? How could God allow something to suffer a Christian's life if God's my father and he can prevent it? And we see so temporally in our life. It's like somebody once described as trying to see the eternity of God in, in the snapshot of this moment that the Bible calls a vapor. And you're trying to define God and life and eternity on the basis of a vapor. You can never do it. It's like watching a parade through the knothole of a fence and all you see is this little part right here. You can't see the vastness of the parade. You have no idea of what's gone before or what's coming after. All you see is the knothole. And a lot of times for us, that's all we see right now. And, this, and we want God to make what we see absolutely pleasant and wonderful. A few more scriptures I want you to look at with me is in Acts 14. And here in this, this chapter, it's very short. But in Acts 14, we're given this instruction as well about following Jesus Christ. And he tells us this in verse 22. He was confirming the souls of the disciples... And exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. How many of you want to enter the kingdom of God? You must, through much tribulation, do it. You must. The Bible tells us, if you will, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. I'd like for you to read these with me. Verse 16. Jesus makes this comment about discipleship and his followers. And he says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. For a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you will speak. For it shall be given to you in that same hour what you should speak. For it is not you that speaks, but the spirit of your father which speaks in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father the child And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. And when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say to you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Another passage is in John chapter 15. Verse 18, I really feel it's important we read these. Jesus says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But in all these things will they do to you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't have had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hates me hates my father. If I had done, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, then they had not sinned. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this comes to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But praise God, there's a comforter coming who has come and he is the Holy Spirit of God who gives us the strength to endure through all this hatred and all of this persecution and all of this rejection. And so I just want you to understand that. Another scripture is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And in this passage of scripture, Paul is using a bit of sarcasm as he talks to the Corinthian church. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you of this. Jesus said, they hated me without a cause. They hated me because they didn't know who who sent me, speaking of his father. If they've hated me, they're going to hate you. They hated me because of the works that I've done. Now, many Christians seem to slide by on that because there's a lot of Christians that don't do a lot. They certainly don't do a lot with Holy Ghost power. It's a lot of Christians that have, in theory, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but not in practice. And when the Holy Spirit is really moving through a believer's life with power and and vitality and just exalting Jesus through their life, it's going to draw up a fire of rage against you. They're not going to be giving you the key to the city. They're not going to be appreciating what you're doing. You can go walk in the hospitals and heal every one of them and empty them out and they'll want to string you up the next day. That's what they did to Jesus. You would think that you would be the most valuable person in the world and everybody would be coming to your church. But no, no, no. Only if they're looking for something or wanting something or need a healing themselves. But as soon as all that's done, crucify them. I mean, this is the kind of world Jesus says you're going to face if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So some people just kind of like to take the low road. Don't stir up things. Don't rock the boat. Don't draw the enemy's fire. Let's just play it cool. And let's just get through this. Let's be a Christian. Go through school. Nobody has to be upset that I'm a Christian. I don't have to be a a fanatical. I don't have to be some radical at work. And nobody has to really know that I'm a Christian. And maybe I won't suffer persecution. This is the person that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 4, 9. And he says, For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. He's being very sarcastic. Even to this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. Why? If God is their God, why do they have to go through that? 
But Jesus told them they would, didn't he? Jesus didn't lie about it. Jesus didn't cover it up. Jesus didn't say, hey, give me your life and I'm going to make you a professional athlete. Give me your life and I'm going to make you a millionaire. Give me your life and I'll make you the CEO of your corporation. Give me your life. You'll never get sick. You'll never have a problem. There'll never be anything that goes against you. He never said that. He said there's going to be persecution and heartache. And he says in labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world. And in the offscoring of all things to this day, I write not these things to shame you, but I'm warning you as my brothers, I'm warning you. Whatever road you're taking that is not drawing the fire of the enemy is not a safe road to take. This is a warning that he's giving them. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beg you or beseech you, be followers of me. Are you kidding, Paul? Followers of you, you're hungry and you're naked and you're thirsty and you're beaten and you're the offscoring of the world. And you want me to follow you? No, sir. I like this brand of Christianity over here. Because over here, we're strong and we're wise and the world loves us. And we get to go to the governor's house and eat lunch with him. No, we'll take this road. And Paul says, I'm warning you as my brothers, be very careful with this. And if you will let me, can I read three more scriptures with you? This is Second Timothy chapter 2. And this is, uh, of course... A personal letter to Paul's son in the faith. And he says in verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. In chapter 3 verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Manner of life. Purpose. Faith. Long suffering. Love, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution and men are going to get horrifically worse and i want to read this last scripture in second corinthians chapter one this was a scripture that has moved me time and time again especially through times in my life when the enemy was trying to rob me of my faith the enemy was trying to cause me to take a passive road of christianity a more, a more palatable type of Christianity. One that would maybe make the right kind of compromise so everybody on the different fringes would all just kind of like put up with me or like me or just get along with me but really not stir anybody. And it was this scripture, one of them, that God really challenged my life with. And he says in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 1, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, 
above strength in so much that we despaired even of life. Now, this, this, is the, this is the scripture. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. And, and if I can, would you allow me, would you do this in your own understanding? Would you tie this verse 9 to 1 Corinthians 15 and to Hebrews 13 that if only in this life we hope in Jesus Christ, no wonder Paul said we are of all men most miserable. I mean, honestly, if you looked at Paul's life, and if this was the life that he lived after knowing Jesus Christ, it was a miserable life. It was painful. It was full of affliction and persecution and heartache and difficulties in his life. But he wasn't a miserable man because there is a resurrection. And, and that changes everything. There is a resurrection. And, and because there is a resurrection, my hope in Jesus is not just in this life. And because there is that resurrection, I will face the persecution and the affliction and the suffering. If the world hates Jesus, let it hate me. I want to be with him. I want it to treat me the way that it treated him. And so he said that we had this sentence in ourselves, And this is just what it means and, and how it was brought out to me. On asking myself whether I should come out safe from the peril, or whether I should take an easier road of compromise, Paul passed his own sentence upon himself. It was like he was given the choice. Where He says in verse 8, pressed beyond measure, dealing with things that are way beyond my strength and my ability to, to be able to deal with. And so I had this sentence I had this decision to make. Will I embrace the suffering and the peril or will I choose an easier road that is a lot more comfortable? And Paul's conclusion is this. I must die. That was his conclusion. I make the sentence. It's final. It's past. I must die. It's much like John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a decision to make. He had a choice. He didn't have to do this. But he had a choice. And he, he, he knew that when I say this, it is not going to go well. So he has a choice. And perhaps he's battling in that choice. But there comes that moment when John the Baptist makes the sentence in himself. And he makes the choice. I'm not going to take the easy road. It is not right for you to have your brother's wife off with his head. He made the choice. And he chose this road. And so, beloved, I, I pray that you will understand and I just want you to see this because I would pray that we would be so infatuated with Jesus Christ that we would make the proper choice in regards to suffering. And let me say it this way. In everything that I've been talking about, I've been talking about suffering and affliction and persecution if you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and follow him, Jesus does not promise you a life that is free of pain, free of confusion, free of heartache, or free of sorrow, or anything else like that. He doesn't promise you that. As a matter of fact, what you've read with me, and even from the apostles, there is a surety of persecution. And and that's what he assures us of. And so when we're talking about this life of discipleship, we're talking about a, a, a decision that we have to make. You have to make it. Youth, you have to make it. And that decision is, will I choose to die? And that was Paul's choice. I'm not just choosing to suffer. I'm going to choose to die so that I lose control of everything else. And the only thing I can do is hope in the God who raises the dead. That's when I make that choice. That's the only thing I've got now. There's a God who raises the dead and I am as good as dead. That was his choice. So when I say that about suffering, please understand this. I am not saying, will you make the choice to suffer or not? That's not your choice. Because you see, the fact of the matter is every one of you is going to suffer if you live in this world. And you're going to suffer horrifically. You're going to suffer from abuse. You're going to suffer from betrayal. You're going to suffer from slander. You're going to suffer from sickness. You're going to suffer from disease. You're going to suffer from catastrophes. You're going to suffer from all types of things and manner of life. Whether you are a Christian or not. You're going to suffer and you're not going to escape it. But this is the beauty. You can choose that road of suffering. That leads to eternal suffering. And no rewards and absolute loss are you can choose to suffer for Jesus Christ. And there are a few factors that will give you the strength to endure it. And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes as I close. Just a few factors. Number one is what Paul told us. Everything I've ever had or experienced or gained in this life is dung compared to Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that, you will choose the suffering of this world and not the suffering of Christ. Because the devil will get you. He will get you. And he will get you mad at God. And so my suffering is not to prove how strong I am. It's got nothing to do with that. But it is the one that I met who is more to me than anything else. So I want to go outside the city to him and bear his reproach. The second way of enduring this is the way Job taught us. I will not curse God and die. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that with my own eyes in my flesh, I'm going to see him. And Job taught us that he's a Redeemer. And contrary to how everybody in the world is going to suffer, you're going to suffer differently because they have no comforter. But you have a redeemer. And I don't understand how God does that. 
I don't understand how God turned Job's life from sudden loss of even his kids and blessed him doubly back and gave him joy in, in spite of all that. But God did it. I don't know how God did But isn't it wonderful? You don't have to know. I don't know how you're going to bring me out of this, God. I don't know how you're going to do this. God, I have been hurt so badly and I've lost so much. And there's no way you can replace and you fill in the blank. I, I don't have to do that. All I have to know is I have a redeemer. Who can redeem me from my pain, redeem me from my sufferings, redeem me from my trial. I have a God who is going to redeem me from death and give me everlasting life. Another one is Peter. Because Peter makes this statement. When everybody's leaving Jesus. When Jesus has all of these crowds following him. And he turns around and says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And they all leave. And Jesus is there with the 12. And he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where would we go? You're the only one with eternal life. Where will we? So I ask you. So you get upset with life. So you can't figure it out. And you hurt. And you cry. And you complain and God lets us because he knows our frame and our frailty and he lets us just so we do it on his shoulder. But at the end of the day, where are you going to go? You're going to go to Buddha. You're going to become a Jehovah witness. You're going to become a Mormon. You're going to be an atheist. Really? What in the world does atheism solve for you? Does it take your suffering away? Makes it more miserable. So like Peter. You have to come to grips with this thing. Eternal life. Only exists. In Jesus Christ. And nothing. Is going to separate me from him. Because I believe. In eternal life. And the last one is this. It's what David taught us. And David lived a life of suffering. And he had an extremely dysfunctional family. And David would say so many things. But the one thing that stands out to me that David said is, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire beside you. And it is that pure and sincere relationship with Jesus Christ. And guys, he didn't lie to you. He did not tell you that when you make the decision to become his disciple. It is going to make your life on earth spectacular. But it's going to make your life with him spectacular. And it's going to make your eternity spectacular. And it's even going to cause you to have such joy in the midst of your suffering that people are not going to be able to understand or comprehend how somebody going through the things that you're going through can have joy and can have comfort and can have gladness who are suffering so much. And the only answer you're going to be able to give them is this. God has given me a comforter. And that is the Holy Spirit of God who is my companion And my friend and my strength and my consolation. 
And I'm not sure or certain how everything turns out other than this certainty. I know that there is nothing that has ever existed or could exist that has the power to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. And everybody's going to suffer, but I'm going to suffer for the reward and the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want you to stand with me. And I pray that this would be something that gives you strength in your life and help in your life and comfort in your life. Now, this is simple, but I mean this with a sincere heart. There is suffering in all of our lives. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who's suffering or who has suffered. But this is what I want to do. I want to be able to minister to one another. How many of you remember the, the messages, work the altar? Oh, I pray to God that we understand the importance of doing that more and more every service. But the Bible says, and Paul's concern was, I'm concerned that the enemy is trying to overthrow your faith through suffering. And some, some of you know, my faith is very, very weak. That is not something to be ashamed of. That's something to be honest about. Because every one of us at some point can suffer from a very weak faith. That doesn't turn Jesus away from us. It turns him to us. Because he wants to build our faith. And so our compassion should be for one another. Especially those of you that are in a season of confusion. Adversity or trial. And you're really hurting. And I'm not even asking for you to tell us about the pain. You may not even be able to articulate it. We're going to let you cry about it. We're going to let you pray about it. And brothers and sisters who love you are going to come around you and they're going to pray and they're going to rebuke the devil and the deception of the devil and the lies of the devil. And we're going to pray, God, in the name of Jesus, give them the comfort of the Holy Spirit tonight. And you have to receive that comfort. He has already come, but you have to receive it. So here it is. If there's anybody here tonight that is in a season of confusion, a season of suffering, and I just want to pray with you. There's nothing to be ashamed of. But if that's you, I just want you to come forward right now. And I want us to have the opportunity to pray with you. The battle is very real. 